You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are really glad that you're here. So where do we begin? We'll start at Cheesecake Factory eight years ago because that's where all good stories begin. So uh, one of the things, just about my family, my day off is on Friday. And so we do family day every Friday. And this family day, my kids pick Cheesecake Factory as the place to go to lunch. So now this is several years ago now. So my son Xander was about six. And we get home from lunch and he's upset. And he's like, Dad, I left my Lego Stormtroopers at the restaurant. And I'm like, okay, so let's hop back in. We get back in the car, we go there. I talked to the people at the front desk and they said that they had, or the hostess stand, they said they hadn't, nobody had turned anything in. I said, can I go to where I was uh, sitting? And even though there's somebody else there. And I said, sure. So I get there, I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, you don't know me, but I was sitting here before you. Did you happen to find any Legos? And they said, no. I said, well, I'm just gonna climb under the table real quick don't mind me. I'm just going to try to find them. I did not find them. And then I realized how awkward that looks. And I just said, um, I said, Zan, and and the sets that he had bought me, they were like $4 sets. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just go to Target and we'll get you the sets and you can get the stormtroopers back. And I was the hero of the day, you know? And so anyway, a little while later, we, uh, this is, uh, we go to downtown Disney. So it's like two weeks later, we go on vacation for the weekend and we go to downtown Disney back when it was still called that. And uh, we're walking after dinner to the superhero store that they have there. And my son starts to cry. And I said, what happened? And he says, I left the iPad that you got me at the restaurant. Now, um, we homeschool our kids because my wife is Amish. And, uh, <laughs> and so, but anyway, so a lot of the homeschool stuff they do is on a tablet. And so anyway, so that's just part. So they, they needed that. So I had given him my old one. And um, so then my wife went to the, back to the restaurant to see if we could find it. And I was then left to give him a big lecture about being responsible. So Carrie finds it, all is right in the world. And once again, it triggers the you need to be a responsible member of society speech that parents have to give. And I say, look, you either got to decide to be responsible or you can't take things out of the house. Okay, dad, no problem. The next day, um, we are going to go to Hollywood Studios because my daughter Mia who's about nine at the time, and Xander, who's six, are going to go to the Jedi Academy to fight Darth Vader. And, you know, they get to do that whole thing. It's so super popular. And um, by the way, the cutoff is age 12. Uh, Just, I don't know, I just found that info out. And um, anyway, I don't know why they cut it off at 12. There might be other people who are interested, but nonetheless, that's the cutoff. So, um, but it's a very popular attraction, so you got to get there really early. You have to get there before the park opened. So the park opened at 9. Xander, Mia, and I got there at 8. But because there's only one car, Livy and Carrie were coming later, and I know this is complicated, but I just said, look, we'll take a cab and, uh, from the hotel to Hollywood Studios, and then you guys just meet up with us when, when Livy gets up, because Livy was young, like three at the time, and then all that. So we'll, we'll get in the line do all that. So we do that. We're in the line to the Jedi Academy. Xander starts to cry. I'm like, what's wrong? And he says, Dad, I left Teddy in the car. Now, let me, I know, can you believe it? It's shocking. (laughs) Get ready. It's going to be even more shocking. You ready? Okay, good. All right. Anyway, you guys can all listen in too. And uh, now, Teddy is a teddy bear 
that Xander had won at Disney World like a year or two before that. And since he won it, Teddy had become his closest comrade and they went everywhere together. And he said, dad, I brought him because I thought he might want to see me fight Darth Vader. But then when we got here, I got so excited that I left him in the car. So he leaves him in the cab. So I call my wife. My wife then calls down uh, to the front desk. The front desk puts it through to the valet. The girl at the valet pulls the security footage. <laughs> now we're going full CSI on this. <laughs> so she pulls the security footage. The security footage now it shows us leaving the hotel, getting into a cab. The cab had the phone number and the actual uh, number of that unit. We call, they call the cab company. They get transferred to dispatch. Dispatch gets us on the phone with the cab driver. The cab driver confirms Teddy is in the back seat and, by the way, not paying a fare. And so he says, all right, I'll swing by. So then after about an hour or so, we're in the park, and we get this text with this photo. Teddy is safe and sound at, back at the hotel. And this is where most stories would end, but not my life, <laughs> right? So now, the day that we leave, we, <laughs> as things go, um, now here's the thing you have to understand. Throughout the week now, after this thing happened, my wife and the girl from Valet had become best friends. And because that's just what happens, people meet my, everyone loves my wife that meets her, including me, but everyone loves her. And, uh, and so now I'm packing up the car. I bring the car up and I'm packing up the car. We're saying our goodbyes and this, they're exchanging numbers and, you know, text me after you graduate from real estate school. And I, now I know everything about this woman now and uh, our family, you know, we're getting, who knows. And so anyway, so um, we're headed home. And I get a text, or my wife gets a text from the valet girl with this picture. Now, I don't know if this needs a lot of commentary, because I think this probably gives it away as to who it belongs to, but these are my keys. And so I somehow had left my keys while I was packing up the car. I must have put my keys down on the valet stand, uh, and, but the car turned on because Carrie had her keys in her bag. Now I'm 30 minutes away. Like I have left Orlando, headed for home. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I forgot my keys. I, have, I call a friend who just so happened to be at Epcot that day. And I'm like, hey, could you do me a favor when you leave Epcot? Could you stop by this hotel? You're gonna meet this girl. She works in ballet. She's gonna give you the keys. She already knows you're coming because I've already said yes for you. And, um, and then when you come to church, drop off the keys for me. Yeah, no problem. But now I have a different problem. I have given several you-need-to-be-responsible-member-of-society speeches <laughs> to my son, and now he has just heard that I have forgotten my, the keys to my car at the hotel. And, um, and now, and I'm like, okay, Xander, and he stops, and he's like, Dad, don't worry about it. Happens to all of us sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> okay, listen. So mistakes in life happen, and conflict is inevitable. Listen, everyone experiences conflict to some uh, level throughout the course of their life. The question is, how are we going to handle it? Part of the problem that we have in conflict is in the way in which we process it. Because, and let me explain what I mean by that. Most of us judge ourselves based on our intentions. And what that means is, it doesn't matter if I did the right thing or said the right thing, or even followed through on anything, I had the intention to do the right thing, so it's okay. I'm right, 
because I intended to do what's right even though I didn't do it. Now, and, and we've experienced this in kind of weird ways. You ever have someone come up to you and say, man, I meant to call you, but didn't. And we're supposed to be like, really? Thank you. As if it's like, you thought of me, but then thought of something better to do. But I'm supposed to be grateful that you had this thought that you were going to do something, but didn't do it because we just wanted, we want to be judged based on our intentions, not on our actions. The way we judge other people is a little different because we don't judge other people on their intentions. In fact, a lot of times we don't even judge people on their words or their actions. We, based on, we judge them based on what we believe was meant by their words or their actions. Even when they tell us, this is what I meant by my words or actions. No, no, no. It's what I think you meant by your words or your actions is what that really means. So let me, just in case you have to leave early, let me give you the punchline of what we're going to talk about today. And that is, if you live like this, you will be miserable, alone, and hopeless. I can promise you. And if you don't believe me, look at people who live like this. And I can tell you, they are miserable, alone, and hopeless. And what we are going to learn as we look at this uh, section of the book of Acts today, we are going to learn how to be gracious We're going to learn how to be an includer. We're going to learn how to have conflict that is productive. And you know what happens when you do? Your world will get bigger. And you will have tremendous joy in your life because the conflict produces a resolution that makes things better. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 11 and verse 1. Here's what we read. It says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. All right, three things that we're going to look at when it comes to conflict and how do we work it out. The first is this, deal in facts, not rumors. Deal in facts, not rumors. Peter returns to Jerusalem after his experience at the house of Cornelius And people are waiting to criticize what he did. Now, there's a couple of things that I want you to note that I think are really important here. First, there's this group called the circumcision. I don't think a lot of thought was given into the naming of this group. All right, because it's like, hey, man, we're going to put two groups together. Hey, why don't we call ourselves the circumcision? All right, anybody else have a suggestion? Anything? Hell's angels? Something? Uh, All right, circumcision, I guess that's it. I guess that's what we're doing. I mean, anyway. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. That's going to get me in trouble. And so anyway, but so let me tell you who the circumcision were. Uh, this, the, this was a group of believers. They, they were believers in Jesus, but they were adamant about the fact that everyone had to become Jewish before they were able to follow Jesus. Now, um, they also believed that everyone had to keep the law and live like a Jew. And, and I want you to kind of understand where they were coming from. Uh, I don't agree with it, but I think if you kind of follow their, their line of thinking, you can say like, okay, I can understand how someone gets there. And, and the way it is is that this was their belief. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And that is, he's only saving Jewish people. So the only way that anyone in the world gets saved is either by being Jewish or becoming Jewish. Now, that's all going to get blown up when we get to chapter 15 because they're going the church is going to have to make a decision on this and they have what's called the Jerusalem Council and and they um the, you know they, they realize hey the world is a lot bigger than that and we're going to um we're going to be a lot bigger than that than than what you're saying but the second thing i want you to note is that the people who hadn't done anything were criticizing those who were out there doing something and that i think is very important this group that's you know chastising peter 
they're out there like, well, I can't believe you went into a, the house of someone who was a Gentile. And it's like, okay, but I'm out there doing something. You're just here wanting to argue. And listen, this is really important that everyone who criticize you, criticizes you is always doing less than you. And that is just an important thing because the people who are doing more than you don't have time to think about you. So, but I am grateful for the fact that they're willing to have a conversation with Peter, although, man, it's so accusatory the way they talk. You know, and they're like, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Like, could you imagine um, if they had approached that a, a little bit, a, a, a little different? Now, um, the other thing that's important to note is there's nothing in the Torah or in any of the Hebrew scriptures, about Jews not being able to eat with Gentiles or enter their home. So this is a rabbinic teaching. It's a rabbinic tradition. It's not found in uh, the Tanakh, which is what's called the, the, the Hebrew Old Testament. Now, uh, but this is a rabbinic teaching that's found in the Talmud. Now, you say, what's the Talmud? I'm so glad you asked, because I'm going to tell you right now. And uh, Judaism is essentially built on three books. It's built on the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, uh, a book that's called the Mishnah, and then another multi-volume set that's called uh, the Talmud. Now, here's how all of these kind of work together. Uh, so let's take a command uh, like resting on the Sabbath, right? Do no work on the Sabbath and uh, one of the Ten Commandments. So, but see, here's the question. God says to rest on the Sabbath, but then the question comes up, what does it mean to rest? Does rest mean I just don't do my job, but I can work at home? Does it mean I can't do anything? And can I get out of bed? Can I cook? Can I, what can I do or not do? Well, this is where the Mishnah, and the Mishnah basically serves as a commentary on the commands, the 613 commands of the Torah, uh, and that is, how do I incorporate this into my life? And so what the, the Mishnah does, the Mishnah lists 39 activities that you cannot be involved in on the Sabbath, and one of them is to lift heavy things. But see, that would also beg the question, what constitutes a heavy thing? Is it like a heavy, heavy thing? Is it a heavy thing for me? Or is it a heavy thing for anybody? What if I pick up something that's, not, that's heavy, but not super heavy? And heavy, is it like bench press heavy? I mean, see what I'm saying? We're not really sure. So this is where the Talmud can help us with that because the, the rabbis argued and debated what lifting something heavy meant. What did that constitute? And they decided that it meant carrying something that was heavier than two figs. Now, if you've ever held two fig newtons in your hand, right? If you held two fig newtons in your hand, the thing you do is you just take them and throw them in the garbage because those things are disgusting. So anyway, let's, oh, whatever. You ever try an Oreo? Way better. Anyway, so, so anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you can't carry anything that is, that, that is heavier than, than two figs. That was the determination. And that's how we went from the Torah to the Mishnah to the Talmud. Now, uh, that's not the case that we're dealing with. The thing is, how did we get to Jews can't eat with Gentiles or enter their home? That was a rabbinic teaching that had been debated about Exodus chapter 34, verse 15. Now, this verse is about, it's a conversation that God is telling Moses about what the children of Israel are supposed to do when they enter the land that God is going to give them. That's the context. When you enter the land, this is what you're supposed to do. So let me read it to you, and then we'll kind of back our way into rabbinic interpretation. If you're like, if you woke up this morning, like, I really hope he talks about rabbinic interpretation. Well, wow. All right. If you were like, I really hope he doesn't talk about that. Like, well, too bad. All right, here we go. So here's what Exodus 34. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, 
For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. Now, um, the basic interpretation of this, which is, by the way, not just mine, this is the understood interpretation, and that is that when the children of Israel came into the land, they weren't supposed to make peace treaties with the people who were living in the land. They were supposed to drive them out and their ungodly practices and the other gods that they worshipped, who were, the worship of which was, some of which was horrendous. Okay, now, the point that he makes is, is that, you, because if you don't, they're going to offer sacrifices and invite you to eat with them. You know what that means? Because eating of the sacrifice is part of you and how you engaged in worship of their gods. Now, but about 200 BC, as this is being volleyed and debated around, there's a rabbi named Rabbi Ishmael. Now, Rabbi Ishmael Came, with, came up with an interpretation based on this verse that somehow got a lot of ground. And because of what had been happening with the Medo-Persians after the captivity and then the Grecian Empire taking over and then after the four generals of Alexander the Great, who we'll talk about later, uh, when they were kind of warring for years, um, there was just this, this hatred that they had of Gentiles because Gentiles had been conquering and reconquering and uh, taking their land over and over and over again. Well, this is what Rabbi Ishmael came up with, and this is what's recorded in the Talmud. Um, and I'm, I'm reading from uh, the Aboda Zera, Volio 8a. So if you're like, I'm going to check his work. So anyway, that's what it is. All right, but here's what he says. He says, if, for example, an idolater, and that would be a Gentile, gives a banquet for his son, and invites all the Jews in his town, then even though they eat of their own and drink of their own and their own attendant waits on them, scripture regards them as if they have eaten of the sacrifices to dead idols. As it is said, and he will call thee and you will eat of his sacrifice. Now, you're like, how in the world did they get that interpretation from that very straightforward verse? Because you've just never seen, you know, rabbis debate. That's why, because it's just, we just keep going. And once again, because there was a lot of cultural things that were impacting the interpretation of these verses. But this became the prevailing teaching, and thus this tradition of Jews not eating with Gentiles began, and even entering the home of a Gentile became uh, seen as a sin in tantamount with idolatry and worshiping other gods, even though the verse has nothing to do with that. And all of this conflict was simply based on a misconception. And this is why during conflict, you need to deal in facts, not rumors or feelings. And, I, I, you know, I was telling my kids this a while back. When I was in high school, there's a girl I went to high school with who was convinced that I asked her to go to the prom with me. Now, first of all, I don't do proms, all right? I was never into that. And she says I promised to take her. Now, first thing is, I don't remember that at all. I was friends with her, but I never had any interest in her. And there's no way that I was going to spend money, that, like prom money, on someone I wasn't interested in. That's just not how that works. Uh, the other thing that I explained to her is that as a musician, I don't ask girls out, they ask me out. <laughs> and um, the only girl that I've ever asked out in my life is my wife, because my musician mojo didn't work on her <laughs> at first. So anyway, but my friend from high school was not having any of it. So... Um, I tried to tell her, listen, we're friends. I wouldn't intentionally hurt you. But listen, she didn't care. She hated me. And you know, I graduated from high school. If you can believe this, I'm turning 50 years old in less than two weeks. Okay? Don't, don't. 
It's okay. It's okay. Well, okay. Let's just do this. Let's do it and move it on. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Well, that was a bit much. All right. It's a bit much. So <laughs> I appreciate it. But okay. Anyway, I graduated from high school more than 30 years ago. All right. Just, I know that that's, that's, that's like, I even, how does that even work? Did they have high schools back then? Um, <laughs> it was like this one room, right? It was like one room schoolhouse. Anyway, so, um, but about 10 years ago, she sends me a friend request on Facebook. And I'm like, finally, 20 years after the fact, it's finally over. And she sends me this message after she friends me and I accept the request. She sent me this message. She says, it's been 20 years and I still hate you. I, I don't know what the proper emoji is to respond to that. I'm not just, you know, you know, I don't really know how to respond. I, I, I just <laughs> hope you've been well, you know. Hope you're not outside waiting for a limo. Um, I didn't say that. I thought it, but I didn't say it. So now, but the, <laughs> the problem is, is that you can't argue with feelings. You can't argue with perception, or I heard a rumor. You know, you can't. You got to deal in facts and seek to find uh, the truth. And now one last thing before we, before we move on. I want you to notice how these Jewish believers only care about their pet rules. Did you notice that they make no mention of like, Peter, we're so glad to hear, like, wow, Gentiles were saved? That's amazing. They came to know Jesus. They were baptized. No, no, no. Not interested. Instead, and this is where we need to check our own heart. Where if we find ourselves being critical, we got to ask ourselves, do we see the whole picture here? Are we missing something? This is why sometimes just the tone of your voice can change a conversation. Sometimes just saying the question in a different way can change the conversation. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned it before, but it's like, you went into the house of uncircumcised. Like, dude, what if it was like this? You know, Peter, glad to have you back. Or maybe we'll go King James. Peter, hast doth returned? Returneth thee? You know, all right, fine. But no, hey man, what happened in Caesarea? We are hearing all kinds of reports, but we want to hear it from you. You know what that's called? Believing the best. Do you know what we want from others? We want them to believe the best in us. And you know what we need to do? Believe the best in them. This is why hidden agendas, rumors, and gossip are so destructive. Because it undermines the unity that God desires for us. And listen, and here's what I know. I know that unity is what you desire because nobody seeks out division. We simply have to commit ourselves to do the things that keep division at bay and invite unity in our lives. Because listen, if your marriage is divided, your family's in trouble. If your workplace is divided, then your future might be in trouble. If your church is divided, hundreds of families are in trouble. But when there's unity, let me tell you something. When there's unity in your marriage, boy, there is so much joy. It's like a taste of heaven. When there's unity in your workplace, there's peace about the present and where things are going. And when there's unity in your church, there is grace because we believe the best in each other. And there's growth because we are helping each other get better. And that is a beautiful place to live. Now, look what happens in, uh, in verse 4. By the way, the other two services clapped right here, but it's okay. So I know. <laughs> I'm just messing. I'm just messing. Because you guys clapped on the birthday. I didn't say the birthday thing in the other services. Um, Listen, I don't have time. I, have, I don't have time to say anything more than what I say in the other two verses because there's always another service. Like now, I just go for it. And so they, they, don't, they just turn off the clock. They're like, you know, it's done when it's done. So anyway, so if you're, if you're like, you know, I, 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 
if you want like a shorter service, you know, come to the early, early one, you know. Um, you know. I'm more of a Christianette who likes sermonettes, who spoke cigarettes, you know. That's, that's maybe more the early service, but it, this is for, we're just going for it. So anyway, that's where we're at. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. All right, let's move on. Verse four, look what happens. This is Peter's response. He says, but Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently, I considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed you must not call common. Now, this was all done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, send to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname was Peter, and he will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and upon, uh, as upon us at the beginning. And by the way, that phrase is really important, as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they had heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And if you pause there and give me your attention, let's talk about second thing, if we're going to work it out. The first thing is deal in facts, not rumors. The second thing is uh, build a bridge with your words. Now, Peter recalls the story of what happened how he went to Cornelius's house and what happened while he was there. Now, there's a couple things that are important to talk about. If you were with us last week, then we did all the heavy lifting and the exposition when we read, uh, talked about the story and uh, that the sheet and all that, and you can go back if you didn't listen to it, but it really is talking about the Gentiles being offered salvation through Jesus. Now, we also talked about in the message why Peter was the one that was chosen, even though there was Philip who was living in that same city, who was an evangelist and was a leader in the church. And we talked about the fact that Peter was the one who needed to learn that lesson. But there was something else I wanted to talk about that I wanted to leave until uh, today, because it's part of the conversation that we're having. And that is that Peter had an authority as an apostle that Philip did not. Philip had come to, if, had Philip come to Jerusalem and told the same story, they may not have trusted Philip as much as they trusted Peter. And this is just a reality of life, that there are people with whom we have a deeper relationship and thus trust more. And that's true of everybody. That is that you could hear a certain truth, but if it's someone that you barely know versus someone that you deeply trust because you've known them for a lot longer, you're much more willing to hear it because of the depth of relationship. And, and over the years, I've taught this, and this is something that I, I um, wrote years ago, but it's this little equation for talking about how deep can we talk about certain things. And, and if you want to fill it in, it's in your notes, but basically length of time plus depth of relationship 
equals the level of intensity. Length of time versus depth of relationship equals the level of intensity. And, and what I mean is this. So about 10 years ago, I'm, uh, I'm walking through this plaza that has a Gold's Gym. And uh, I, wasn't, I was there because there's like a steak and shake three doors down, which is why I was there. And so now the salesman from Gold's Gym comes out and he's talking to people in the parking lot trying to sell memberships. So he comes up to me and my wife and he says to me, he says, do you have a gym membership? And I said, no. And he tells me all the benefits of joining. And so I politely declined. And he said, and then he, you know, and, and, and he said, look, you're 50 pounds overweight you need this membership. And I said, is that your strategy for getting members to insult them? And once again, he tried to apologize, but it, it was too late. I threw my shake at him. And no, I'm kidding. And, um, but, and by the way, it's not that what he's saying wasn't true at the time. It, it's that he just wasn't the person to say it to me. And this is why I love this passage in Proverbs. It says that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And this is why, you know, in, in the book of, it's not in your notes, but in Ephesians chapter four and verse 15, it says, it gives us this command to speak the truth in love. And that if we're going to speak the truth, that we got to speak it in love because, and it has to have both of those components that what we speak. Because if we just decide to love without truth, love without truth is hypocrisy. But truth without love is brutality. It, both of these things have to work together. And the closer that you are with a person and the longer that you've known them, the deeper the conversations and the deeper the level of truth that you can share. So um, speaking of a gym, I'll tell you something that happened to me. I was at a gym a few years after that. And I was running on the treadmill. And as I'm running on the treadmill, this guy starts running on the treadmill next to me. Now, he had obviously been at the gym for longer than me, um, but he smelled bad. And I, like, and I mean like really bad. I, can't, I don't have very little sense of smell my glasses, I mean, my nose exists to hold up my glasses. That's the only function that it serves. But, um, but I mean, this dude's B.O. I mean, you could have bottled that and it could have woken the dead. I mean, this was, it was serious. So anyway, now a few minutes later, I'm, I wanted to leave, but my problem is, and I'm still choking on the smell, and, um, but I don't want him to think that I'm going to leave because of him, even though I'm leaving because of him and because of the smell, and I'm just in a weird spot. Now, the guy's wife comes over and hands him a bottle of water and says to him, honey, you really smell. And now, okay, here's something you have to understand. <laughs> Sometimes I say things without understanding the ramifications of what it is that I'm saying. So the two of them, they're on the treadmill uh, and we're both running. She says, honey, you smell. And I say, testify. And uh, <laughs> now... For the record, that was wrong. And I know that now. <laughs> now, so here's what happens. Is that now, so I'm running on the treadmill, testify. And then they're running, they're, I'm, he, he's on the treadmill, and she's standing right here, and they, they both go and look at me. And I don't know what to do, but I'm wearing headphones, and I have my phone in there, and, and so I'm just running, and, and I... I, and I'm like, I can't believe I said that out loud. <laughs> and so I say, testify. And they look over and I just go, testify to the Lord. And I just, I don't know. That's the first thing I could think of was to act like I was singing. And then, I, so I say that 
And the two of them were looking at the, oh, okay. And they just, I said, oh. And then I just got out of there. I just testified somewhere else. And now, she can say it, I can't. Why? Because length of time, depth of relationship always equals the level of intensity. Now, I'll tell you, um, since we're on the topic, there's a guy who used to attend church here. And um, every week, he would wait for me at the bottom of the stairs to tell me everything that he disliked about my message. Now, this guy would wait for me every week without fail. You know how you guys, like, you go on vacation or people get, maybe, get, maybe oh, I got sick, couldn't make it. This guy, perfect health. <laughs> Never went anywhere. And I'm thinking, like, can't someone just, like, gift this man a cruise or something? Anyway, every week, this guy would wait for me and tell me everything. Now, I'll just be honest. Listen, I beat myself up pretty good when I'm driving home. I don't need extra help. All right? Um, but every week I'd listen to this guy, and this went on for months, just his rantings about everything that he disliked about my message. And you know, once again, if someone has an expertise and they're going to share with me, hey, you know, I kind of have a different view on this, that's fine. But, um, you know, it was always something totally out there, nothing that was kind of in line with like, you know, orthodox Christianity for the last 2,000 years. And one day I told him, I'm like, hey man, you, I think you're confusing your, gr- your Google search with my two theology degrees. And um, so anyway, I appreciate you liking that one. Anyway, um, but I did say to him, I said, hey, you know, um, you know, you've, you've never said one nice thing to me ever. You don't even say hi. You just wait for me. You're like, you know, I'm going to tell you what the problem was this week. And he just, and, uh, and, and I said, you know, all you do is you, you just lean in and complain about what you don't like me or my message or whatever. And, and it's, it's so interesting. He's like, you know, pastor, look at this church. It's full. Everybody here loves you, but you need somebody to tell you what you're doing wrong. And I said, and, and what makes you think that person is you? And, and, and I said to him, and I'm like, listen, I said, if you're so unhappy with me, why do you come to church here? I said, it just seems like cruel and unusual punishment. I was speaking more for me, but um, <laughs> uh, that, you, you know, and, and he says this, and he goes, you know, I come to church here. My wife loves you. I said, that's because your wife has good taste. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> not in men, but in, uh, in churches. And um, anyway, this is one of the reasons why we got to give thanks for things. Like, I give thanks for COVID. Um, because after, he's not here anymore. And, um, and uh, by the way, after the, I said that in the first service, and someone was like, oh. And I'm like, no, he didn't die. He just went some, I mean, not that that's a deal breaker, but um, <laughs> that's a joke. If we can't joke about death, what can we joke about? And uh, anyway, he went somewhere else. And when I find out where he went, I'll send the pastor a gift basket. And um, now... <laughs> <laughs> don't email me about that. Because, anyway, I'm going to leave it there. So, now, here's, here's what wise people do. We make sure that our words don't damage the relationship, but instead strengthen it so there's continued conversation. You see, one of my favorite Proverbs is in chapter 25, where it says this, Proverbs 25, 11, it says, a word fitly spoken. You know what that means? It means the right word at the right time. You know what he says, Solomon says it's like, is like apples of gold in settings of silver. The right word at the right time is as beautiful as it is valuable. And that's what happens. Now, let me tell you the other thing that's important about this passage, and I'm going to just kind of 
more from a theological perspective, and that is that the Holy Spirit fell on the believers before Peter could finish. If you read Peter's sermon, and we read it last week, even if you read it slow, he's like two minutes into his message when the Holy Spirit just falls. Because one of the things, and I, I just love how God does this and, and really vindicates Peter, because they could say, you presented the gospel to Gentiles, you shouldn't have done that. It's like, hey, they wanted me to talk about what God had done in our lives. I started talking about Jesus and the resurrection and the Holy Spirit just fell on them as it did for us. Remember I said that to notice that, that what, what, as it did for us in the beginning? This is a reference to Acts chapter two when they were praying that the Spirit of God fell on them and then after they spoke in different languages, Peter stood up and gave that incredible sermon. Now, I want you to notice what happens is, is that they become silent and it ends the argument. But I love... Um, and this is what we need to be better at. Like sometimes we have conflict just because we're trying to be right and we see that as the goal. That's not the goal. If you're right and you destroy the relationship, you haven't won. No, resolving the conflict well is the goal and truth helps us get there. Why? Because Jesus said the truth sets us free. Now look what happens. Now the door's open to the Gentiles. So now this is where Luke, our writer, is gonna begin to move and show us that now the gospel is, is, is moving out. Look what happens. It says in verse 19, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene when, uh, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists or the Greeks uh, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And he came, uh, when he came, he saw the grace of God, and when uh, he was glad and encouraged that all they should remain with purpose of heart and continue with the Lord. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up, and showed by the Spirit that there would be a great famine in all the world, which happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. If you pause there and give me your attention, last thing I want to tell you and then we're done. And that is, if we want to work it out, then we've got to be a person who encourages resolution. Now, the gospel starts going forth because they hear that people are are responding to the gospel and that Greeks are hearing the gospel and responding. So I want to show you this map because I'm contractually obligated to show you one map per sermon. And um, here's where we are. The Great Sea, of course, is the Mediterranean. And um, here's Jerusalem. By the way, if you want to know where everything's going on uh, in Israel right now, all the craziness going on right here, which is the southernmost si uh, coastal city in uh, in uh, Israel. It's just right on the border of where um, Israel, uh, I'm sorry, where Egypt is. Anyway, this is kind of modern day Egypt. Anyway, so they're in Jerusalem, and then it says that they, they're going as far as Phoenicia. Phoenicia's right here, where the two main cities were Tyre and Sidon, which are right here. The, the Tyre and Sidon are the cities, uh, two cities of Phoenicia and the Phoenician Empire, which is right here. Cyprus is right here, this island. Uh, by the way, this is where Barnabas was from. 
And then the last is Antioch, which is kind of the northernmost area of Syria. Uh, today, the border changed, and now it's just inside of Turkey. Turkey's kind of up here past the map, but uh, at this time, before the border changed, it was, uh, it's called Antioch of Syria. Now, one thing I do have to tell you is that there, what we'll see this in the next couple of weeks, there's two cities named Syria, I'm sorry, two cities named and confusing, but we're going to make you aware of it as we go through. But the reason for that goes back to Alexander the Great. When Alexander died, he had no heir. And so when his four generals stood around him as he died and said, to whom do you give the kingdom? He said, give it to the strong. And so those four generals spent the next 200 years warring against each other. Now, the one that's important for our conversation is named Seleucus. Now, the other three, just because I know people are going, what are the names of the other three? Cassander, Ptolemy, and Antagonist. Not important, but because some people just like, I just want kind of the round, you know, anyway. Those are named the four. Seleucus is who we're focusing on. Seleucus conquered most of this area. Uh, the area of Israel, the area of Syria, parts of uh, modern-day Turkey, which at that time was called Asia Minor. And um, he named, Seleucus named two cities after his father, whose name was Antiochus. That's how you get two cities named Antioch. One is, this one was Antioch of Syria. The other that we'll see in chapters 13 and 14 is called Antioch of Pisidia. Now, naming cities, and you're like, why would people do that? Because people still do that. They name cities the same thing. Like, we are in Miramar right now, Miramar, Florida. There are 65 cities in the world named Miramar. Why? Who knows? It's just people like it. In fact, there are four cities in America named Miramar. Um, one in California, one here, one in Georgia, and one in Massachusetts. I grew up in Boston, and it turns out that there is Miramar, Massachusetts is 20 minutes from where I grew up, and I just found out four days ago. Shocking to me. And, uh, but now, but that's just, that's what happens. Now, I'm telling you this part as kind of a setup for what we're going to be looking at in weeks to come, that the gospel is starting to push from outside of Jerusalem and this region to go into the rest of the Roman world, and the book of Acts will end with the gospel finally reaching Rome. Now, three things that I want you to note before we close. First, is that Antioch of Syria, this city, will become the second most important city in Christianity right after Jerusalem because Antioch of Syria will be the missionary hub. That, uh, that church is sending out people to preach the gospel into the rest of the world. The second thing that's important for us to note is that when people start preaching the gospel to Greeks, Barnabas is dispatched to encourage them. And if you've been with us, you know that that's what the name Barnabas means. It means son of encouragement. And so he takes this opportunity to close an open loop that he's had for a few years, and that is the issue of Saul of Tarsus. And so when he goes and, and finishes his assignment in Antioch, he goes further north to this area called Cilicia in Tarsus, finds Saul, and brings him back to Antioch, and he spends a year teaching the Gentiles who have come to know Jesus, and this becomes the launching point of Saul's ministry. And this kind act by Barnabas changes Saul's life, and he will spend the rest of his life preaching the gospel to Gentiles and planting churches everywhere that he goes. Now, third and finally, and then we're done. Antioch, in verse 26, tells us that is where the believers were first called Christians. Now, the word Christian is kind of an interesting word. Um, it's, it's a strange word because it was meant as an insult. The word Christian literally means little Christ. And so it was 
And the early followers of Jesus loved it so much, they kept it. I mean, could you imagine people trying to insult you by using a word? And you're like, hey, if it's cool with you, I'm going to put that on a T-shirt because I really like that. And um, they're like, oh, you're a little Christ. Is that what you are, little Christ? And they're like, hey, we like that. Um, check out our bumper sticker. And, uh, and, and I love that. It's one of the many things I love about the early Christians. But that insult revealed something about them, that even the enemies of the church saw Jesus in his followers. And my friends, if we want to resolve conflict in our lives, this is what it takes, that people need to see Jesus in us. People need to see that we love, love them. And it doesn't mean we're always going to agree, but it does need to mean that people need to know how we, how we feel about them. And when people know that we love them and that they love us, even if we disagree, we can work towards resolution and not give up. Why? Because that's what our Savior did. He worked towards resolution and didn't give up. And if we are a little version of him, then we need to seek to do the same. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you that um, you didn't give up. But instead, you wanted us to be reconciled to our heavenly Father. And now, as the Apostle Paul wrote, you've given us the ministry of reconciliation. So Lord, help us in that. Whatever conflicts we're dealing with in our lives, help us that even if we disagree, that people might see Jesus in us and see the care that we have for them uh, through the things that we say and do. So Lord, help us that we might be people who bring peace, peacemakers wherever we go. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.